Hello, Mount Airy family and those others that are watching online. We're so glad that you're here today. Uh, these are indeed unusual times, aren't they? It's unlike anything I've ever seen in my entire life, and I'm sure you could say the same. This past week has been an amazing, crazy week for your staff, and I'm sure for you as well. It's been a week that trying to understand where do we go and what do we do? How do we navigate these waters? And there's still a lot of uncertainty hanging in the air. Recently this week, I've been in a couple of meetings through teleconference, telephones and video calls, that kind of thing. And uh, one of those meetings was with a group of local pastors. And then the other meeting was a, a meeting with uh, pastors from around the state. And, and in those two meetings, all the pastors were saying the same thing. What do we do? What does church look like now? So it's pretty obvious as you're sitting there in your living room or wherever you're watching us that for a little while at least, church is going to be different. It's going to be different for Mount Airy and for every church in the nation. And so we appreciate your patience. We're glad that you have tuned in and we want this to be a wonderful experience for you today. Now today I'm primarily just going to speak to you next Sunday. We plan to have some music, some worship prior to me speaking, but today I just wanted to sit with you in your living room, sit with you wherever you are, and just open God's Word with you and just speak to you from the Word of God. If you hear someone in the sanctuary as this is being recorded, uh, we do have a few people here up in the balcony, and they're here just to kind of support me so that I'm not, I'm not preaching to an empty room. Uh, so our staff and some other support folks are here, and I appreciate their attendance, but uh, I wanted to come and speak to you today just from my heart to your home, and let God speak to us all. As we begin the service today, I've asked Daniel Cox to come and read Scripture to us and pray for us before we begin our study together. Daniel? Thank you, Keith. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, and he says, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This morning as we gather, we're physically not together, but spiritually we are. And we can be that way because of Christ, because of salvation, because of the grace that he has extended to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning we confess that we are blind. Be our light. We confess we are ignorant, Lord. Be our wisdom. We were strangers, outcasts, rebels, but your cross has brought us near. Your blood was shed to wash us clean, and your resurrection is the assurance that our faith stands upon. Be with us now as we worship together as your body, separated physically, but not spiritually. You are our salvation and our only hope in times of trouble. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. You remember the good old days when you could go to the grocery store and there was food on the shelves? Remember the good old days when you could shake hands and hug your friends? 
Do you remember the good old days when toilet paper was so cheap and so easy to get that you could go out at night and throw toilet paper over people's trees? Those were the good old days. About two weeks ago. If I had told you on March the 8th what was about to occur across the world in the next two weeks, you wouldn't have believed me. You would have thought that I was crazy. The entire world has changed over the last two weeks. Now, I know it started in China two or three months ago, but the last two weeks really has accelerated everything. And I'm wondering, what was that moment for you? What was that moment when you realize that this is more serious than you thought it was. I'll confess to you that I began saying, this is all overblown, this is a media-driven thing, this is just, the flu is worse than this, but my heart has changed, my mind has changed. Now, I bet for a lot of you, that would be your testimony as well. So I'm asking you, what was that moment when it all changed for you? Maybe it was when you realized March Madness was canceled. And it was a whole different kind of March Madness. Or maybe it's when you realize that all sports are canceled. Something we, we couldn't even comprehend two weeks ago. Or maybe for you it was when the schools closed. And you had to decide what you were going to do with your kids. Or maybe for some of you it's when businesses started to close. And you're fearful about your job. Maybe it's when you realize restaurants are ordered closed. Or maybe it was when churches all across America, regardless of denomination, started canceling their services. That's when it became real for me. When I realized that we have hard decisions we have to make and decisions that will affect everybody. Our lives are dramatically unsettled right now. That's the obvious thing, of course. And nobody is exempt. I mean, absolutely nobody. You see, the problem with the coronavirus is that every single one of us is experiencing what's going on right now. That's not always true. If somebody has cancer, I can pray for them, but it necessarily doesn't affect me. If somebody has a heart attack, I'll pray for them, but it doesn't necessarily affect me. If somebody loses a husband or wife, I'll be grieved for them and pray for them, but it doesn't necessarily affect me. But this is different. This does affect me. And it affects you. And it affects everybody in your family. And it affects everybody in our church. And it affects everybody in our community. And it affects everybody in our state. It affects everybody in our nation. It affects everybody in our world. The coronavirus really, I believe, is a needed reminder. It's a needed reminder that not only are we not in control, we really never were. We just thought we were. So, how do you experience peace in the midst of panic? How do you have faith in a world that's filled with fear? Thankfully, God shows us this in His Word. So I hope that you have your Bible with you, whoever you're watching today. Maybe you can turn it on or open it up, but I want you to find Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is one of my favorite uh, psalms in the entire Bible. It's really kind of my go-to psalm when I'm struggling, when I'm facing something that is a hard time, Psalm 46 is the place where I always go. 
Psalm 46 is probably a, a scripture that's very familiar with you as well. There, there's a background behind this story that is very interesting. You need to understand the background before we even read the text. When King Hezekiah was king of Judah, the city of Jerusalem was surrounded one day by the Assyrian army. That army was led by a man named Sennacherib. Sennacherib. The entire capital city was shut down. The entire city of Jerusalem shut down because they were surrounded by this army from Assyria. They were there to capture them. They were there to destroy them. They had surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They were outside the walls waiting to go inside the walls. The, the story, if you want to read it some other time, is 2 Kings 18 and 19. Now, I, I want to paint a picture for you. Imagine that you're Hezekiah, or imagine that you're uh, the people living within the walls of the city, and now you find out that Sennacherib and his entire army is surrounding the city of Jerusalem. They're, they're just outside the walls ready to come in and conquer and destroy you. I want you to think about what that must have felt like. Something like this. Look at this. First of all, life was normal, and then it wasn't. Life was normal. They had a normal life. They were coming and going in the city. Life was normal. And then one day, something happened in their world, and all of a sudden, it wasn't. Look at this next one. They were free to come and go, and then they weren't. Before Sennacherib arrived, before the enemy surrounded them, they could come in and out of the city. They were free to come and go. And then suddenly, because of the enemy surrounding their city, suddenly they lost that freedom. They were, to use today's terminology, quarantined. Also, they had faith in God, but fear and panic began to take over. They had faith in God. They, they were the people of God living in the city of God. But when the enemy is surrounding your city and is threatening to destroy you, it's pretty easy for your faith to give way to fear and even to panic. I wonder if maybe that sounds a little bit familiar to you. Life is normal, and then it wasn't. Free to come and go as you want, and now perhaps you're confined. You have faith in God, but fear and panic begin to take over. That's the background behind Psalm 46. With that in mind, I just want to walk through this verse or this psalm with you. Just want to go verse by verse, walk through the text as we look at this psalm together. So let's just start with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Now, as we walk through this text together, I just want to give you five lessons. If you're taking notes, and I really hope that you are. I hope that you've got a notebook there with your Bible open, your notebook open. I want to give you some things to write down. Maybe even to write down in the column of your Bible, because this is one of those passages you may need to go back to again and again and again over the next few weeks or the next few months. So here's the first lesson I want to give you. God is with us in days of trouble. God is with us in days of trouble. Notice how the writer of Psalms portrays this. He says, God is our refuge. Now the word refuge simply means that God's our shelter. You know what a shelter is. If there's ever a storm and you're outside and you're caught in the rain, you run for the quickest shelter or the nearest shelter. You're trying to get out of the storm. You're trying to run 
to get, to get someplace where you feel you're protected. And the psalmist said, God is our place of protection. God is our shelter. God is our refuge. And then he goes on to say, God is our refuge and strength. You could translate that power. God is our power when we don't have it. God is our power when we are weak. And then he goes on to say, and God is our ever-present help in trouble. That word ever-present simply means that God is always there. Regardless of what it is we're facing, regardless of what the times are, regardless of what's happening around us, God's always there. And so the writer of this psalm was reminding the people in the city of Jerusalem a very important uh, truth, that God is always with us. Remember, the city was being surrounded by the Syrian army. And as they were in that city, he either wrote this psalm while in the city, surrounded by the army, or perhaps he wrote this psalm after it was all over and he could look back with perspective. But he wanted his people there in Jerusalem to know, and God wants us to know, this truth. God is with us in days of trouble. He is our refuge. He is our strength when we're weak. He is an ever-present help that never leaves us. You know, I've been using a word that I bet some of you have used recently. I've been using the word unprecedented. As we've talked with other pastors and on these teleconference calls and as I've talked to people in our church and people on our staff, I, I've said again and again, these are unprecedented days. And even with my daughter one day, I said, you know what, the word unprecedented just sometimes doesn't seem strong enough. Because we've never lived through anything like this. As I did a little research though, I realized that the word unprecedented really doesn't apply as much as we think it does. Now, it's unprecedented for us because we've never been through this. But our world has been through something like this before. You may want to look up in the history books or Google it sometime, but in 1918 there was the Spanish flu that swept across the world. It too was a worldwide pandemic. It affected nearly 500 million people around the world. The death toll, now the records were not as good and accurate to back then as they are today, but the death toll was 20 to 50 million people who died around the world because of the Spanish flu. It claimed more lives in just a few months than any other illness in recorded history. One quarter of the American population was infected and 675,000 lives were lost just here in America. When the Spanish flu began to sweep through South Carolina, 50,000 cases were reported here just in South Carolina. The flu began with a small number of cases in the spring of 1918. It subsided somewhat in the summer and then in the fall it returned with a vengeance. In South Carolina, it caused the death of 14,250 people. 14,250 people right here in South Carolina. What was also intriguing was how they responded in those days to the Spanish flu as it spread across the land. The hospitals were overwhelmed with patients. They they began to take regular buildings and turn them into emergency hospital shelters. The Board of Health in Charleston invoked a curfew at sunset and banned all associations of groups of five or less. 
or five, more than five people. In Spartanburg, all public gatherings were closed. Just over in Spartanburg, every public gathering was closed. By October of 1918, the epidemic was spreading so rapidly through South Carolina that government officials imposed quarantines, restricting gathering anywhere and restricting travel. And churches canceled their services in 1918 for about five weeks. They didn't have social media. They didn't have the means like we have to have services anyway. For five weeks across South Carolina, the churches of this state were closed and silent. You see, we're not the first ones to have days of trouble. And the reason I tell you all of that is because when we read about, in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble, I want you to understand that the same God who helped His people in Jerusalem back then, the same God who helped His people in 1918 in their time of trouble, is the same God who will help us in our time of trouble. God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. You see, God is with us in days of trouble. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's ever-present, always there, wherever you are. Now, the second thing I want you to notice in this text is that we can choose not to fear. We can choose not to fear. Here's how the psalmist said it. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Therefore, because of what was said in verse 1, therefore, we will not fear. Because God is our refuge. Because God is our strength. Because God is ever-present. Therefore, doesn't it make sense? Therefore, we will not fear. I was watching Max Lucado the other day and he asked a very good question that I'd like to ask you. He said, are you feeding your fear or feeding your faith? If you're feeding your fear, your faith will die. But if you, if you feed your faith, your fear will die. It's so easy in these days to feed our fear, isn't it? Every time you turn on the TV, the, the news just keeps getting worse. Every time the president comes to make another announcement or the governor comes to make another announcement, the news just keeps getting worse. The restrictions just keep growing. It's easy to feed our fear. But the psalmist said, we will choose, therefore, not to fear. Because God is our refuge, because God is our strength, because God is a very present help in time of trouble, we will choose not to fear. I looked up that word fear in the Hebrew text there at the, in the middle of verse 2. And the word fear is an interesting word. It means to be frightened to the point that you feel intimidated. It means that you are so terrified that you don't know what to do. Now, as I looked at that word fear, I recognized this. Look at here on the screen. Fear is faith in the enemy. Fear is when we're we're more consumed with what's happening around us and what the enemy is doing than we are in what God's doing. Fear is faith in the enemy. You see, here's what you need to remember. 
Fear is a reaction. Faith is a decision. Fear is a reaction to what's happening. Fear is a reaction to the news that we're hearing. Fear is a reaction to the uncertainty about the future. Fear is a reaction. Faith. Faith is a decision. And that's what he's talking about here. Look at verse 2 again. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The psalmist was saying, let's just imagine for a moment that Everything that seemed permanent no longer was. The earth gives way, falls, the mountains crumble. Those things that seem so permanent and so sure, what if they begin to collapse right before your very eyes? What do you do then? And the psalmist said, we will choose not to fear. Even if the world is crumbling before our very eyes, when everything is falling around us, we can still, even then, Choose not to fear. You see, here's why. Look at this. Fear is based on my circumstances, but faith, faith is based on a relationship. A relationship we have with God. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, the mountains quake with their surging, even then, we will not fear. You might want to underline that in your Bible. Even then, We will not fear. Now the third thing that he tells us is this. We can have real joy and peace in the midst of our problems. When I was studying this text, preparing for this message, I've got to be honest with you, I got excited when I really began to understand verse 4. In fact, it has become one of my favorite verses in this psalm. It used to be the verse that I skipped over because I really didn't understand what it meant. Really wasn't sure what it was saying. And as I was studying this, the Lord just kind of taught me some things that I want to share with you. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. I want you to look at that word river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now you need to remember the context of this. Remember, Sennacherib is outside the walls of the city. His army is surrounding the walls of Jerusalem. He's there ready to destroy the city and everyone in it. And in comparison to what's happening outside, the psalmist talks about what God's doing inside. And he uses this metaphor of a river. It's interesting, there really is no river. There is no literal river in Jerusalem. I've been there several times. To this day, there is no river in the city of Jerusalem. Nor, historians uh, tell us, has there ever been a river in the city of Jerusalem? No, this word river is a metaphor for the continual presence and blessings of God. You know, if you've ever stood beside a river, the interesting thing about the river is that it just continues to flow. It just continues to flow. It always fascinates me how waterfalls, waterfalls and rivers just continue to flow and continue to flow. And the psalmist said there's a river in the city of God. There is a river that is continual. A metaphor of God's blessings and God's provision. Now understand what he's saying here. He said this river, look at, look at in verse 4. This river, there is a river whose streams, watch this, make glad the city of God. 
Outside the city, the army is gathering for an attack. Inside the city, God is at work among his people. Outside the city, there is great threat. Inside the city, there is great joy. The people of Jerusalem inside the city were rejoicing even though there was a threat outside the city gates. Can I say to you that what's going on around us does not hinder God's work within us? I want you to think about that. What's going on around us should not hinder the work that God's doing in us. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the panic, in the midst of the uncertainty, we can have real joy and peace. Not because of the circumstances, but because of what God's doing on the inside of us. There is a river. A river inside the city of Jerusalem. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. I believe that's why Paul wrote these words in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Actually, our theme during this time of 18 days of prayer has been this particular verse. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Stop right there for a moment. Do not be anxious about anything. But Keith, have you seen the stock market lately? Do not be anxious about anything. But Keith, we, we don't understand what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. It goes on to say, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, watch this, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to remember something. Look at this. What is going on inside you is more important than what's going on around you. There is a river inside the city that, that makes glad, that makes glad the people of God. How do you explain joy in the city that is about to be destroyed because God was in the city with them? Exactly what it says if you look at the text. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. Look at verse 5. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her. That break of dawn, and, and break of dawn is significant because it was the break of dawn when the enemy was most likely to attack. There was darkness, and then as daylight was breaking, that generally was when the enemy would attack. And, and the Bible says that's when God will rescue you at just the right time. At break of dawn, he's going to step in. It says in verse 6, nations are in uproar. Isn't that true? Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But look at the next part of the verse. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. In other words, all he has to do is speak. And he controls everything. You see, God hasn't given up control. Don't you believe that? God hasn't stepped off of his throne. And the interesting thing is this same God who is in control of everything... Those verses 4, 5, and 6 indicate that same God is the one who is with you. There is a, a river whose streams make glad the people of God. How do you explain people having joy and peace inside the city 
with the army outside the city. How do you explain people having a a different perspective? The only way to explain it is because of what God is doing in them. John wrote about this in 1 John 4, 4 when he said, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So the fourth thing I want to show you as we walk through this text is this. God is with us and for us. God is with us and for us. Now when you come to verse 7, something intriguing happens because in verse 7, there's two different names used for God. Beginning in verse 1, he's primarily just referred to as God. And you see him referred that way all through the text as God, God, God. But when you come to verse 7, he's not referred to as God. In verse 7, he's referred to with two different names. In verse 7, he's referred to as the Lord Almighty. And he's referred to as the God of Jacob. So we have to pause here for a moment and say, why is it that throughout the psalm, he's referred to our our Heavenly Father as God. And then in verse 7, he switches And he doesn't just use a different name for God. He uses two different names for God. Well, let's look at this, the Lord Almighty. It it is used or translated in some Bibles as the Lord of hosts. It's an interesting translation when you look at it. (coughs) Excuse me. The Lord of hosts is actually a military reference. A military reference referring to God as the one who is commanding the angelic armies of heaven. Now get this picture in your mind. Sennacherib and his army is surrounding the city of Jerusalem. But God, the one who commands the angelic armies of heaven, is in the city with them. I love that. I mean, just look at the text. The Lord Almighty, he says in verse 7, the one who controls the angelic armies of heaven, the Lord Almighty is with us. Sennacherib and his army of thousands may be outside the city, but the one who controls the countless angelic armies of heaven, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, he is with us. That that phrase, with us, of course, immediately calls to our mind that New Testament reference. They said, call Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. I say to you today that He's still with you. The coronavirus hasn't stopped that. The enemy may be outside the city still yet. But the one who controls the angelic armies of heaven, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, is with us. But not only is God with us, God is also for us. Because look at this next name for God. He's called the God of Jacob in verse 7. The God of Jacob, it says, is our fortress. I really had to do a little study here to try to understand this concept that the God of Jacob is for us. I don't know if you know a whole lot about Jacob. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Jacob was a twin, and he was the grandson of Abraham. His very name talked about the type of person that he was. He was not someone that you would point to others and say, I want you to grow up and be like him. In fact, his name meant hill catcher or trickster 
or supplanter. It's interesting that at least nine times he's mentioned in the book of Psalms. And every time that he's mentioned, the writers mention his name, they always use the expression, the God of Jacob. Now, why is that so important? Well, I think it's important because when you look through the Bible, you don't see anywhere listed the God of Daniel, the God of Moses, the God of Elijah. Those are our heroes. Those are people we have a hard time relating to because they were so powerful and so prominent and, and, and they did so much for God. But you don't see that in the Bible. You don't see God referred to as the God of Daniel, a man of great prayer, or the God of Moses who split the waters of the Red Sea, or the God of Elijah who rode a chariot of fire to heaven. We don't see those phrases in the Bible. Those individuals were giants of epic proportions. And yet, 22 times in the Bible, you see the name Jacob. And what's interesting about that is that Jacob had a a problem with lying and with cheating. And in fact, if you know the story at all of Jacob and his family, he, he lied and cheated his own family. Which is pretty incredible when you think about this phrase, the God of Jacob. You see, what we're talking about here is someone who's less than a role model. Someone who's not quite the benchmark you would expect. Someone who's not exactly someone we would hold up as an example for others to follow. But the interesting thing about Jacob is this. There came a point in his life when he got desperate. And he's so, he was so desperate, there was a night when he wrestled with God. And God touched him. And God changed him. And then God changed his name to Israel. The name the nation still claims today. So when the Bible says the Lord Almighty, the one who is the controller of the heavenly angelic armies is with us. And then it says the God of Jacob is our fortress. What the writer of Psalms is telling us is this. There's hope for you too. You may not have the relationship with God that Daniel did. You may not have the relationship with God that Elijah did. You may not have the relationship with God that Moses did. You may not be able to relate to those guys, but we can all relate to Jacob. And the phrase, the God of Jacob, is a window of hope. It's the assurance that your past past does not stop God from using you. Your past does not stop God from changing you. That if you will cry out to God in desperation, He can touch your life too. He can change your life too. In fact, this is such an important statement that it's repeated again at the end of the psalm. In verse 11, it's word for word repeated again. This this is the way the psalm ends. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You see, the psalmist wants us to understand that God is with us. And God is for us. Even if we're more like Jacob than we are Daniel. 
There's a fifth thing that I want to call to your attention as we work through this psalm. He ends the psalm, or basically applies the psalm, by encouraging us to let your faith rest in God. Most of the psalm is about God. When you read through the whole text, almost the whole psalm is about God. For the first time in the psalm, God speaks. And He speaks to us. And this is what He says in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. It struck me that God did not say, be still and pray harder. He did not say, be still and work harder. He didn't even say, be still and trust me more. Those are all activities where we put forth more effort. God said just the opposite. He said, I don't want you to do anything more. In fact, I want you to do less. I want you to be still. I know the army is outside. I know panic is taking over. I know you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And God said to the people inside the city of Jerusalem, and God says to us today, and here's the way I want you to respond to all of that. Be still. It's an intentional act on our part, isn't it? It's a response to God's clear command. Just be still. In those days when you're pacing the floor, literally pacing the floor and worrying, God says, here's your response. Just be still. In those days when you keep going from channel to channel to channel and the anxiety level is rising by the minute, God says, here's the way you respond. Be still. In those days when you fear that your husband or your wife may come home and say, our company just shut down. God says, here's the way you respond. You be still. Remember this. In a world of endless worry and constant news and overwhelming problems, remember that whenever your problems seem to be so large, And God seems to be so small. It's time to be still. Time to pause and listen to Him. You see, we all need a time when His voice is the only one that we're listening to. We all need a time when we turn off the TV. We all need a time when we turn off everyone else around us. We all need a time when we just get alone. And we're still before God. But the answer is not just to be still. The answer is beyond that. He said, I want you to be still and know. Know that I am God. The word know means to acknowledge. In the midst of all that you and I are going through, God wants you to accept, to admit, 
or to recognize something. That's what the word know means. To accept, to admit, or to recognize something. He wants you to know in the depth of your being that He alone is God. Now again, keep this in the context of the people living in the city of Jerusalem, surrounded by the enemy, not sure if today will be the day that we'll be attacked. Will today be the day our family is destroyed? Not sure what's going to happen. Fear and panic is is hanging in the air. And God says, and here's how you respond. Be still. Cease striving. Another way to translate that. And know. I want you to know something. Not know it up here. I want you to know it right here. I want you to know it in the depth of your being. That He alone is God. Now, it's interesting. God could have said, be still because I'm God. That's not what He said. It is an accurate description. He indeed is God. But He's not simply telling us to be still because He is God. He's saying, I want you to be still because I want you to come to the deep realization that I am your God. Be still and know that the Lord Almighty, the God of Jacob, is your God. That regardless of what you're facing, He is still God and you are still His. You might need to write that down. Regardless of what you're facing, be still and know He is still God And you are still His. Remember this as well. What I'm facing doesn't change who I'm trusting. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the heavens. I will be exalted among the earth. What I'm facing doesn't change who I'm trusting. You see, when you get distracted and you get worried and you get overwhelmed with life, you need to find a quiet place where you intentionally reconnect with God. And that's going to be my assignment for you this week. Try to find a quiet place and intentionally reconnect with God. You see, when you know that He is God, then you can rest in His hands. I want to close with a story that is a true story. It's a story that some of you have heard me tell before, but I know a lot of people online are listening that perhaps don't go to our church and So I want to tell the story again. It's a story about my mom and my dad when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Prior to that diagnosis, this was back in the days of the cassette tapes, if you remember those. I was pastoring and preaching in Lenore, North Carolina, and one day I preached a message on this text. It wasn't this message, but it was a a message on Psalm 46 called, When Your World is Turned Upside Down. I sent it to my mom and dad because they they couldn't get online and and listen. We didn't have that back then. So occasionally, I would send them a sermon tape. And I happened to send this one, When Your World is Turned Upside Down. Dad got it. He listened to it. He called me, told me what a great sermon it was, how much it encouraged him. He started making copies of that tape and sending it out to people and giving it to people at his business. He, He just thought it was just a great word of encouragement. And then, not long after that, my mom was diagnosed with cancer breast cancer. Dad and mom had such a close relationship and it, it devastated him. It knocked the wind out of his sails. He was fearful. 
of what was going to happen to his wife. And he didn't know how to handle it. And he later told me this story. He said, Keith, I was sitting in the house worrying. And then I remembered that message and I remembered Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength. Very present help. In time of trouble. He said, I went outside and they were living in Elizabeth in Tennessee at that time. There was a sidewalk that went all the way around the block where they lived. And he said, I went outside and I started walking around the block and just quoting that scripture out loud. I would walk and I'd quote it. And I'd walk and I'd quote it. And I kept going around the block and around the block just quoting that scripture. And I remember dad chuckling saying, I bet the neighbors thought I was a nut. And I was just walking and quoting and walking and quoting and walking and quoting that scripture. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. He said, Keith, I just kept walking and quoting that scripture. And I said, well, Dad, how long did you stay out there walking like that? He said, I kept walking and quoting until I believed it. Never forgotten that, those words. I kept walking and quoting until I believed it. Maybe this week, You need to go on a walk. And you need to preach to yourself a little bit and claim this scripture out loud. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Next Sunday, we're going to open the Word again. Until then, I would encourage you to stay in the Psalms. Let the psalmist voice what you're feeling. It'll amaze you as you're reading through the Psalms how many times the psalmist is saying things that you think and you're feeling. Just stay in the Psalms. And what I've been doing lately is I've been reading through the Psalms and I've been turning them into prayers. Stay in the Psalms. Pray the Word of God. And claim the word of God. Let's do that right now. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I'm so grateful for this scripture that so many times has spoken to my heart. Has so many times has encouraged me and helped me. And I want to pray for our dear people and for all the folks that may be listening online. Regardless of, of the fact that the enemy is still all around us. Attacking us and all of that. I pray that what you're doing on the inside will make the difference for us. That you would strengthen our faith as we believe, in fact, what you say in your word. That you are indeed our refuge, our strength, and a very present help in time of trouble. Thank you for the Mount Airy family. And I want to pray that in the next week, God, that you would sustain them and encourage them and comfort them And thank you for all those that have tuned in. Only you know each life, each heart, each home, each need. And only you.
can meet those needs. So we trust you, and we're grateful for the hope that is found in your word, and especially the hope that is found in Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you for tuning in today, next Sunday, 10 o'clock again. Open your word, open your computer, and join us again for worship. We're not the church gathered, but we can still be the church. Just for the next little bit, we'll be the church scattered.